Do you listen to your inner chat and wonder, where did that come from? Are you telling yourself, I'm not this type of person, or I cannot do that. That's not for me. I have to left feet. I will never be able to do that. Others do it better. They are better than me. I'm completely different. Where do those stories about yourself come from? Are they serving you? Can you change them? Can you tell better stories to yourself? In this episode, I have with me an amazing mindset coach and story shaper who knows that the key to freedom lies within our own minds and our own chosen stories. Rebecca Roberts built her own business, Inner Architecture, to help redesign not the space around you, but the space in you, in your mind, to create inner stability, clear thinking, and motion in your life. With her, we talk about how the space we are in shapes how we feel and how to use that to our advantage for more creativity, productivity, and performance. What questions to ask when big challenges arise. How a mindset shift can really change how you experience what is happening around you. What's the difference between the stories that empower you and the ones that don't? We compare balanced skeptics and unbalanced skeptics. How convenience in today's world is starting to be an inconvenience to our growth and how to shift that. What questions to ask when faced with inconveniences or uncomfortable situations? What is the one thing that can help you face any challenge? How can we gain awareness of the stories we tell us that no longer serve us? She also shares a powerful distinction about storytelling that can help us take first step towards wanted change. We also talk about how to shift the beliefs of labels that we have accepted about ourselves. What's the difference between ownership and arrogance? She also shares her definition of identity. She's a very good friend of mine, and I really hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. Are you ready? Have you ever wondered what makes people capable of creating changes that impact their lives and the world around them? What is their way of thinking, their mentality, their patterns, their perceptions of the world, their reactions to different live events? What influences them? My name is Cristina Puyol, and I invite you to join me in this adventure where we will explore together the mind of change makers. Today, I have with me an extraordinary mindset coach, story shaper, and space maker. She spent 10 years as an interior architect and workplace culture strategist until she won on, went on to start her own business, Inner Architecture, where she helps redesign not the space around you, but the space in you, in your mind, to create inner stability, clear thinking, and motion in your life. She has a gift with words, reframing mindset, with storytelling, public speaking and drawing, she now knows that the key to freedom lies within our own minds and our own chosen stories. We met a few years ago and connected deeply. So for me, it's a great pleasure to have her with me today. Welcome, Rebecca. Hello, I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy. Yes. <laughs> and we get to spend a whole hour Absolutely. talking about things that I really love, which is all the storytelling, the mindset and everything. But before we get started, tell us a little bit about your changes, your transition from one career to another, because that yes. will be amazing. So yes, as you mentioned, and what a beautiful intro. Thank you. I felt the love. <laughs> um, so yeah, my background is in design and the interior architecture, right? So all the things that are on the inside. So I wasn't so much about the furniture and the finishes, I really loved the trying to figure out how a space functions. Um, and that love came actually from my dad, because I grew up in a cabinet shop, right, where it was always about the construction and how things were created and built. And one thing that I realized was that the space that we were in would oftentimes shape how we felt, right? So I can remember this one time walking into a bank and 
you know, nothing in Louisiana is that old, but you know, 200 years feels really old. Um, and so the walls were really thick and the wood was dark and heavy on all of the countertops. And, you know, you felt like the place had been there forever. You felt safe and secure and stable, like your money was safe there, right? You know, in this mm -hmm. bank. And then I remember a number of years later, as I was going to open up one of my first bank accounts, and I walked into a completely different type of bank, one that was all frosted glass, you know, and light materials. And I remember just feeling, ah, you know, like I can, I, I trust these people. And it wasn't until I got into all of the theory of design that I realized, ah, yes, spaces tell a story about what the expectation is there. So the story that that first space was trying to tell was you're safe with us. And the second bank was trying to say, we're transparent, right? We won't hide anything from you. Nothing will surprise you. And this was something that I fell in love with about the design side, but it's something that over the years I started to realize that also we do the same thing with the stories that we tell. We build the, the culture within ourselves about what we expect to experience, both from ourselves and the world around us. And yeah, through my design process, I started doing more strategy work because I loved talking with people. And yeah, my, my focus started changing in that I loved hearing the stories that people were telling. And why a space or why their workplace was working for them or not. And yeah, over the years, what was, you know, the side bit of exploring all of this, I ended up going for training in um, coaching and facilitation. And I just absolutely fell in love with starting to shape the inner architecture, the stability and the structure here, because that's where it all starts. That's the lens that we see things through. So, yeah. And you moved from the US to Europe, right? Yes. I yeah, was actually, I was lucky. I think very lucky because I love Louisiana, where I grew up, um, but I think it would have been a major culture shock to move straight from Louisiana to Europe. So I had a few places in between. I lived in Boston for a while. So that's another thing I know. to share. Yeah. Um, and then I was also in the UK for a period of time. And that was all things that just, that was where the big mind sh mindset shifts started really happening because you know, your world just gets broader and broader and things that, you know, they talk about the unknown unknown, things that you don't even know that you don't know. Yeah. Then all of a sudden you come up on something and you're like, wait, wait, what, what, how, how have I never even known that that existed? Mm -hmm. And so I, I feel really blessed to have had so many of those moments where, you know, I would say by openness, but also by grace, just eyes getting wider and wider of going, wow, this world is pretty darn complex and cool. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And now before we switch to the inner space, let's talk about the outer space because, you know, some people talk about Feng Shui and actually how it impacts how you have your space. Yeah. Do you also work with that with your clients or it is something that, um, you know, because you had a lot of experience in that. Yeah. Do you know all of these things? This is something that I really love, right? That everyone has the things that call to them. For some, it's feng shui. For others, it's playing with color and with light. Um, but so many of them, especially a lot of the really ancient or older techniques, older approaches, they touch on basic human nature, right? So for example, like one of the things with feng shui is you should never have your back to the door. Like if you have a desk, you know, on one hand, part of me goes, well, yeah, obviously, but it, it's a beautiful thing because you start to think, well, why is that? Well, because there's something about feeling safe in a space. And when our back is exposed, human nature, even from like our ancient brain sort of goes, well, a tiger or a lion or a bear could come up behind me, you know, and clearly we're not in that case with our offices. 
but that instinct is still there as well the understanding of the importance of natural light you know like there you feel it and and these are the things that i love about these different practices whichever ones they are is that a lot of them make the inherent human nature the impulses that we have that maybe we don't understand so much or we're not so consciously aware it puts it into very tangible ways of going yes a mirror in a space you know makes it feel more expansive it also reflects natural light it does all of these different things it gives you a point of contact with yourself right so there are all of these little things that whether you know the intricacies of of a certain practice or not like for me i know one of the big things is i love playing with light um i i was very lucky as well to have uh, a project very early on in my career that was a big one that we had lighting designers who came in because it was too big for us to handle by ourselves and this was one of those moments where i learned so much about understanding how our eyes experience different things and how it makes us feel and it's really interesting because now when i think back to some of those conversations how our physical experience also translates into our emotional experience and our physical experience you know same kind of thing that light can either be something that illuminates and makes us feel like safer but also the the intimate lighting can also make us feel cozy and safe and held there are just so many things that when we start to understand how our mind works certain things stop being so mysterious but then the wonder shows up in other places of wow aren't we just extraordinary creatures <laughs> yeah yeah and then and the fact is when you talk about this about light and about how it affects us we should know more about it in general because you can change your mood with that completely so if you're feeling low maybe you want to stay there for a little while but not too much and then you can change mm -hmm. the light you can change how the environment that you're in to change the mood, to change your emotions, right? 100%, you know, and now there are so many ways to do this in such fun ways, you know, like Ikea has, you know, Ikea and Philips and have these color changing lights that are yeah. very energy efficient, yay. But you can be really playful, like let's say you're in, you know, a fun mood, you put it on pink or red or something like that, you've got a party going on, or you can dim them if you're wanting to get a little bit more cozy or you want to read a book and have something brighter, but then the rest of the room is rather quiet, you know, so it's as well to pause and take a moment to also recognize that our setting affects how we experience something. I, I actually had a client that I was talking to the other day that she she's wanting to work on something with how she wants to look forward. What are the things that excite her? And I know that she's one that tends to be very structured. And so I said, okay, so here's what I want you to do. I want you to put on some fun music. I want you to light a couple of candles. I want you to get some beautiful snacks, you know, that you, that you love that really make you happy. She was like, I never, ever, ever would have thought of those things. But as you're saying it, like, I can feel myself getting more excited about doing this exercise than what I had in my mind, which was I need a white sheet of paper and a, you know my specific <laughs> pen, and I'm going to sit down at this and I'm going to turn on my desk lamp and I'm going to do it. And I said, yeah, but if you're talking about creation, why not put your environment in a state that inspires you even more, you know? And so it's all about working with the outside and the inside. It's not one or the other. Exactly. Yeah, that's a very good point. That is not one or the other and you don't have to choose. Just use yeah. both of them. Just work yeah. on all of it. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Or choose your starting point. You know, yeah. you yeah. can start with the inside. You can start with the outside. Yeah. For some, it's easier in different directions. And so yeah. that's also no right or wrong. It's just, yeah, exactly. just to play. Yeah. Sometimes it's easier the outside if you can change the outside. So if you're in an office that somebody else has put up for you, well, then maybe you cannot change much of it. But if it's your home, you know, then you can maybe move some things around that is going to help you yes. to shift your mood and, and work on that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Super. Yeah. <laughs> 
And how has it been for you to change? I mean, I know you've done a transition going from, you know, Boston and then UK and then Switzerland, but how is it to be in a foreign country for you? Oh, it's such an interesting experience, especially one of the things that I realized is language also makes a very big difference um, because moving around inside of the US, I mean, the US is a huge country as well. So there's there's almost a lot of different cultures just within one country, but even the UK, the common language is still English. And then moving to a country where it really challenges the mind to start exploring in different ways. Um, so that was one of the big shifts was coming here, starting to learn German because the area where I live, that's the predominant language. Um, and starting to, it makes you also examine your own aspects, your own language and the things that you start to realize that we take for granted. Like I can remember <laughs> we were learning about gloves you know, um, and in German, the, the literal translation is hand shoes, you know, mm, and I was yeah. like, yeah, I mean, it works. And I was giggling about that. But then I started looking at my own language and going, well, we have some pretty funny sayings as well. And, and so it's these things that I find it's a beautiful way to kind of just expand your awareness of the things that we often take for granted, like language, like settings, like culture, you know, because the Swiss culture is very different from how I grew up in Louisiana. Um, mm -hmm. You know, in Louisiana, everyone was your best friend by the time you got through the checkout line at the grocery store. You know, <laughs> oh, baby. Oh, yeah. No, we're going to see each other on Tuesday. That's great. And you're like, how did that happen in three minutes? You know, we're just yeah. swiping my bananas and now we're best friends. Um, Whereas here in Switzerland, it is not by any means a closed culture, but it is not nearly like this. You don't just strike up a conversation in the line at the cafe or something like that, unless there's something quite unusual or you decide to, you know, kind of mess with the system and play with it a little bit, which sometimes I do. I Be unusual. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And they're like, what is this woman doing? Like, it's called being friendly. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe, maybe overly friendly. <laughs> yeah. But have you, have you felt that you, did you have fears or anything? Oh not God. understanding the language or not, or hundred percent. Okay. So there were a few, now I can look back on them and go like, oh, you poor baby things. But whenever I first moved, um, I was lucky enough to, to find a job very quickly. But I was, I was one of two native English speakers in the entire um, company. And the other one had been living here for like 20 years. So he spoke the language very well, the local language. And I can remember sitting in, there was... I think it had been three months in or so that there was a really tough conversation that happened at work where it was like they were announcing some difficult things about what was going on in the office. And I could feel what was happening with all of my colleagues around me as they were listening to this announcement and as they were talking about it, but I couldn't understand anything. Wow. And I can remember just walking out, walking straight to the bathroom and sobbing because I was like, I don't know what's going on and I'm so uncomfortable. And I, I realized that I really had a big attachment, big ego attachment to language is one of my strong suits. I am used to being able to communicate well, and I'm used to being able to understand very well um, what's being said, what's between the lines, all of these different things. And I had a massive identity collapse <laughs> because I was like, well, who am I without my language? You know, turns out that that question actually really helped a lot because it, I actually looked at it. And instead of just having the panic attack, <laughs> I, I started to explore, well, so what am I? Okay, so maybe I am like a six-year-old right now when it comes to how I speak German. Okay, can I own that? Can I let myself 
be in that space of being a newbie again? What can I learn from that instead of it being something that's such a horrible thing? What if it's a beautiful thing? And so I think that was really what pushed me into starting to deeply explore the mindset stuff of how quickly it can change how you experience what's going on around you. Um, because my story in that case, and we start talking about stories, if I held on to the story of great, now I'm an ignorant, you know, idiot, and I can't communicate anything, and I don't know anything, why would anybody respect me? Versus I'm trying stuff out, and I'm being brave enough and courageous enough to learn a new language, to move to a totally new continent, a new country, all of a new culture, like I can give myself some grace. The difference between those two experiences was night and day. It makes sense. And, and what you're saying is also an important point that most of the stories we tell ourselves are kind of true. The thing is, are they useful? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Are they serving um, you or are they hindering you? It's, um, it's it pushing you to move forward and feel better or is it just holding, you know, making you hold back or feeling worse or feeling bad about yourself? Because totally. most of the times they all have their truth, you know, yes. in them. It's yeah. just how you tell your story. Yeah. Do you know, I absolutely love that you bring up that point because that was a game changer for me because I like thinking of myself as realistic, right? I feel like I have a healthy amount of skepticism and I can remember realizing at some point in time that I was an imbalanced skeptic and I was working at the time as well with a lot of imbalanced skeptics because there were a lot of folks that would look at people that were being what they deemed overly positive or just trying to find the bright side of things and they would say like yeah but you know you're not being realistic and my thing was well is their story any less true than yours it's on the spectrum but what's going on in their story it's all the same facts it's just the interpretation is different so actually if you view it as a spectrum of I can, I can make my story with these facts any different way. The balanced skeptic goes, well, if I can choose the super negative way to look at things, I could also just as easily believe in the super bright side or the, the opportunity that gives the most potential for an outcome that actually might be exciting instead of just doom and gloom kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And that was such a powerful thing to realize was I can be a skeptic. There's nothing wrong with being skeptical, but then be balanced. Because if I'm willing to look at all of the, the difficulties that I'm facing, what about all of the opportunities and possibilities? And as well, this is a big shift. Yeah, it connects with with one episode where I was talking about realism versus optimism. Mm -hmm. And I think we need both. We need yes. both. You cannot be just an optimist that doesn't look at the reality, because if you have a reality, you have to be yeah. in that reality. Yes. But you need also to be an optimist to see a future, to create a future and to envision that future. So you need 100%. both. Yeah, hundred percent. I can remember this scientist talking at some point in time about, you know, that all innovation comes from disappointment. And I remember thinking, well, that's an interesting way of looking at it, okay. And so I started thinking about it and I thought, you know, it's really, really interesting because disappointment by itself um, is just that something, like if I take all of the negative aspect away from it, it is that the reality that exists right now is somehow not in alignment with how I think it could or should be. That all by itself is a pretty not great place to be, <laughs> right? Like that doesn't feel great because that's reality is not matching my expectations. But if I put hope on top of that, or for some people, hope is a really tough word. They're like, oh yeah, just I hope that things will be different. But I'm talking about an active hope, like a trust that the next moment could be holding a lot more potential than what is currently here, that this is inevitable. 
But then that's where the innovation comes because yeah, of course there has to be some friction, some tension, some belief that it could be a little bit better. But then that trust that I could have an impact on that, I could be part of that. And that is the seed of all innovation. But there has to be that trust. There has to be that willingness, that curiosity to come in. And, and that as well comes in with that optimism, like you talk about, that it could be better than it is right now, that it could be different. Yeah. And yeah. starting from the disappointment. Yeah, I've never, I would never word it like that. That's starting from the disappointment, because that's right. a word that like sounds negative, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Ah, but this is something I love on that word, speaking languages. This is something that the word in German for disappointment is Enttäuschung. What that means, if you translate it back into English more literally, it means the end of illusion. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Which, if you think about it, that is what disappointment is. It's that the picture that I have in my head is not matching the reality of my situation. And so part of me is, is angry that that dissonance is there. But in all honesty, if we look at it from an impartial place, we now see more truth. We now see more clearly something that we didn't see so clearly before, or we had an illusion about how it was. And so when we when we believe and we truly explore for what is true or what is more true for us, then it actually ends up being quite a beautiful thing. And I think it all goes to reframing what we're saying, the meaning that we give it and this and how we tell that story right so there's a, a combination of all of that so that you can even you know i i also talked one time about changing the past and when you reframe change the meaning or and change the story oh, yes. there's a new past and there's oh, a new future yes. for that matter right amen well and you have a gift for this. This is something right now I can sing your praises a little bit because this is some place where sometimes when we have those conversations, exactly this is that recognition of the lens or the frame through which we're seeing things when we recognize that we have the power to broaden that frame or like even focus in on our scope that all of a sudden it's again, not this I'm being delusional but it's saying, yeah, there is the full spectrum of things out there. But right now, the thing that gives me power, that gives me excitement, that keeps me moving forward is to focus specifically on this particular part. And that's where that reframe comes from also looking at the past. You know, if somebody has hurt you in the past, there are times now that I can look back and go, man, I am so insanely grateful for that moment because it built certain skills within me. It gave me certain resilience. But on top of that, it gave me a certain experience that now I can have conversations that have a depth to them that I never could have had with clients, with teams, with all of these different people if I hadn't gone through that. So it has made my life richer. But if I only saw, oh, that person wronged me or that situation was horrible. And if that's what I want to focus on, then I lose the connection to like this immense wisdom, this great value. Yeah. And even your own power, because those sentences disempower you yes. from you owning your own decisions and your own life, you know, yes. but really just telling the story that this is happening to you. You yes. know, the famous to you instead of for you, you know, exactly. and I think when you're going through something, it is harder sometimes to have that hindsight window. Yes. Yes. It happens normally after, you know, people is like, I want us, you know, it's like you're walking in the forest and you leave stones. Well, you see the stones when you look back, not when you look forward. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So, yeah. Well, and you've just talked about it because this idea of the window, right? The hindsight window is exactly how quickly how long that space is. And I think that this is also a softer way of looking at mindset shifts, is that so often people think, yeah, I need to change this habit. I need to stop doing this. I need to do that. And when I think about the times that I've been most successful about sustainable change, 
it has been through consistent small steps where I've kept thinking less about, oh, I stopped doing that, but I've thought, ah, you know what, last time it took me three days to get over being upset about this, and this time it only took me 24 hours. So maybe next time it'll only take me eight hours. And, and I think that that's something is that now there are things that used to really irk me <laughs> that now, like even in the middle of it, that I can go, okay, I've had enough experiences to know that this will serve me at some point in time. I'm not there yet to be over the anger, but actually those two things can happen at the same time. I can be sad or angry or frustrated and still holding the trust that this is somehow going to be for my benefit, even though I don't see it yet. And that can also bring a lot more ease to the stories that we're telling ourselves about what's happening right now. It just gives a little bit of space to zoom out instead of it being so close that we can't focus on anything else. Mm, that's yeah. a good point. That's a good tool. Yeah. And what else do you think could help to not change the high sign window, not the time of reaction or the time of getting out, you know, it's, there is a process that we need to learn. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I was talking to someone and they were saying like, well, you need to go through some hardships to be able to grow. Yeah. Otherwise, if everything is flowers, you are not going to grow. Yeah. But just to at least be aware of the growth and not, not value that growth, what you think yes. can help in that sense? Mm. So there are a couple of different things. When I first think about that topic of growth, there, there are a lot of times where I think we want to avoid not necessarily discomfort, but inconvenience. I think we've grown to have a lot of love for convenience. Oh, yeah. Um, I do. Like, I realize that sometimes where even the idea of I live in a building right now that I have an elevator and stairs. And every time I walk in that front door, I have this little dilemma. Should I take the elevator? Should I? Stairs. Oh, I'll take the stairs, right? Because it is about what is it that I actually want? In that case, it's a little bit of elevated heart rate. I know that movement is good for my body. And that's a chance that I can have some just very easy access to quick movement. Again, it's three flights of stairs. It's nothing that is extraordinary. And it's not going to put me into like CrossFit competition shape. Um, but it, it does something, right? That's one of those little, little steps that if I consistently take the stairs instead of the elevator, it does make a difference. But these little moments of looking for places where we might, in small ways, find a way to build our resilience, build our growth, explore something new, that might be a little bit less convenient, right? Maybe it's getting off the subway or the tram or the train or whatever it might be one stop before your house and starting to see what else is in your neighborhood, you know? Or you feel the impulse to go up and talk to somebody and you go like, no, I'm gonna, they're gonna think I'm crazy. Okay, so what if they think you're crazy? You're never gonna see them again, it's a party. Hi, how are you, you know? It's not always, and that's, we have extreme, um, we have minds that like to think in extremes, you know, to make a change, I have to make a giant leap, I need to quit my job, I need to move to another country, and, and we can do all of those things, but we can, if we're dissatisfied with our jobs, start looking on a much smaller level and saying like, what are the things, if I don't feel very connected, Maybe I start once a week inviting one of my colleagues to go for a coffee or, you know, it's not always about the giant dramatic things, but it can be so beautiful to see how the tiny changes start to completely shift how we experience our lives. And that's part of this storytelling process, because if I tell myself the story of, oh my gosh, that's so inconvenient. But then I start to look and say, well, but what is, what am I gaining? What, what story can I tell about, you know, the experiences that I will gather from it not being so convenient? Because if you think about it, the greatest storytellers that we know, almost all of them 
are a little nuts, right? Like <laughs> sometimes you look at the stories that they're telling and, you know, yes, in the, the tundra and when the lions were chasing me and you're like, you are nuts. But it's because oftentimes they are willing to risk the inconvenience of exploring something. And the pull for that can often be, what are you curious about? Or what do you see in someone else's life experience that you go, oh man, they live such an exciting life. Well, what is it about their life that's so exciting? And is there the possibility that you could integrate even a tiny bit of that into your own? Maybe you just experiment and play. So on that topic, actually, one of the biggest things is that helps with that is curiosity is following those little pulls and turning the volume up on your curiosity because we all have those little inklings where somebody says something and you go oh that's cool but sometimes the story immediately starts yeah but i can't do that i can't go and and start that i can't try that i can't try rock climbing you know we have all of this dialogue and this is the little rebellious process to go, well, who says? Because I've made that rule. Yeah. And I think you brought an important point also about this thing about experiencing big changes versus small changes. There is, I think, the conception that some things everybody like i hear everybody hates public speaking no that's not true everybody and they people see for example parachute flying or whatever it's it's like this crazy thing for you and for maybe a lot of people but there is you know there's a group of people that that's the easy thing because they've done it for so many times yes. so for me when we talk about like a, a big shift or a small shift it means shifting whatever you can do usually easy yes. yes from the outside it may look like a big thing like you know being on a public stage there's people that love that yes. and that for them is the normal so for them the normal would not be going on a stage it will be sure. something else exactly. so i think it's finding places where like you're saying you have discomfort yes it's not yes. what you would do it's not what will become easy to you to practice that so when the real discomfort comes, you know how to deal yes. with it. Yeah. Ah, that's such a beautiful way of saying it, actually, because it is also to acknowledge two sides of it, right? One is that we each have our own natural inclinations, you know, and that there are certain things that we find incredibly easy that other people are going, oh my gosh, that's the hardest thing for me to do. Like I look at somebody who is good at finances and numbers and all of that. And I'm going, you're amazing. Like, I don't, I don't even understand how it's possible because that for me, my brain does not function in that way, but they look at me drawing or painting something. How is it possible that you can do that? Well, we each have our own gifts. We have our own things. But the flip side of that is how often we have adopted a story that isn't actually true about ourselves. And like you said, that everybody hates public speaking. I couldn't call the pizza delivery guy when I was young. I was terrified because I didn't know what they expected and, and I would get a bubble in my throat and I would freak out and pause, right? And just a couple of weeks ago, I was on stage in front of 150 people. You know, yeah. and I loved every second of it. <laughs> At some point in time, I had this thing and, and I was lucky enough to actually almost have it forced on me. I was in a role for a period of time that I had to get up on stage twice a week. And it was terrifying at first, but I realized actually this isn't so bad. And then this isn't so bad turned into actually this is kind of nice. And then actually this gives me a lot of energy. But that's why the consistency is such a powerful thing, because if I just tried skydiving tomorrow, I can tell you, I'd be like, nah. but if I started on a trampoline and I thought, well, I really like that amount of falling and I did it from a little bit bigger and then I did some cliff jumping and then I did something, you know, who's to say that I don't find something that I actually really love. Yeah, so that that's so we're talking about being curious. Um, then also the fact that don't don't shy away from discomfort because mm -hmm. that's gonna grow the muscle of being able to 
change and being able to accept the things, whether you create the change around or it comes to you, sometimes it just is imposed and you have yes. to adapt to it. Yes. And also having the mindset of a beginner. I yeah, think that's yeah. really important. Then you also touch about it and knowing that in things that you don't know, you're going to be starting from zero and everybody does that. And I think when we're adults, we forget that. Yes. Even like at 18, we start to forget it already. Like, I yeah. should know this. I should, if it's my strength and it comes easy to me, then these other things should come easy to me. I see it in dancing every day. People watch and, oh, oh, I can do that. Well, yeah, but there is a process. Yeah. It, you know, it's great that you believe you can do it, but then you also have to believe that there is a process, you know, yes. because then people get discouraged with the process. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I love this. I can remember somebody using the example of the resilience of a little kid. And they said, can you imagine if a child did exactly what we did when it comes to, you know, starting to walk? If they tried it twice and they were like, screw this. I'm done with that. I'm just going to crawl for the rest of my life, you know, yeah. and yeah. you just go. But it's true. And and even what science has come up with showing us for a long time, they thought that neuroplasticity stopped after a certain age. And what we realize now is it stops the more that we tell our stories inside of our own minds that we weave these stories of I'm incapable of change. So then our body reflects that. But there are now many, many, many studies that show that if we keep challenging ourselves again, even on little bits, that that neuroplasticity continues to allow us to expand and grow and change, not only without so much discomfort, but also with a great amount of wonder and joy and excitement. And uh, yeah, I can speak hours and hours. We still have time. <laughs> But in terms of storytelling, how can we gain awareness of mm. stories that don't serve us? So I've I've been playing with something for the past year or so, and it's to look at the two aspects of storytelling. And I've started calling it the art of story weaving and the act of storytelling. The weaving is what happens inside of our minds. It's when we take all of the different pieces and information that we know, and we start to put it into a certain pattern and a certain picture, right? If you think about like a tapestry, it starts to, to speak to a certain image that we have of ourselves and a certain image that we have of the world around us. One of the greatest gifts is to start to recognize how much impact we have on the fact that I can weave a different story and I don't have to lie, right? I'm still using the same material. It's not making myself into a superhero when in all honesty, that's not how I feel, but it's starting to look and saying, wow, instead of being nosy, maybe I'm curious. Instead of feeling like I have to do something or should do something, I start to use the word I choose to do it because actually it's my choice. So all of a sudden I start to feel more powerful. And the story that I'm weaving inside of my head is one that I have choice and that I'm making choices instead of, oh, like you said, the world is happening to me, you know? And so the first is to really recognize those two different things is that we are weaving our own stories. We are the creators of those stories. And then that is impacting how we're telling them out into the world. And it's to be able to play with that, to play with our language, to start to look at the words that we're choosing to use. I use a lot of playful language, play, curiosity, exploration. And it is also because I am weaving that inside of my own mind. Those are the words that I want to use because I don't want to think that I'm, you know, suffering through life, I'm working hard, I'm problem solving, I'm dealing with issues. When I'm using that vocabulary to weave my story, man, life feels a lot heavier. And again, it's not to lie to ourselves, but it's to recognize that that reframe can empower us. When I thought for a long time that I was nosy, 
because somebody told me that when I was very young, they were like, my gosh, aren't you a nosy little thing? For years, I thought oh, when I ask questions, I'm, I'm bad, right? Like, oh, it's just because I'm trying to dig my way. But then I had a beautiful friend at some point in time that she said, Rebecca, sorry, but you are anything but nosy. You are one of the most curious people that I know. But nosiness is wanting information to be able to go off and use it to gossip and do different things. She said, I feel it very genuine from you. And that was one of those that instantaneously shifted how I saw it because I thought, now that resonates. That feels good when I own that. And so it's ownership of those stories that I'm weaving. What do I want to own? Do I want to own that I'm nosy? Or do I want to own that I'm powerfully curious? And that starts to affect how I show up into the world. I think that's an important point because that you, you can go in the areas of your life where you're a little bit stuck or you feel that you're not good at or you are not growing in that area what are the things or labels that you accepted because normally it starts when we're young oh yes what labels have you put on yourself and accepted or, or accepted from other people and then play with those labels and see okay can yes. i change that level can i say something else that doesn't sound irreal like doesn't sound that i am a fake positive or whatever absolutely and that makes more sense that i can at least make me grow one step more in that direction if I, if that's something i want to change absolutely and you hit on something really really important there because there are times when i see people trying to use like mantras or affirmations and inside of their mind they've woven a story that they're pathetic or ridiculous and then they're starting to tell themselves i'm a goddess or i'm a king that leap your mind is not going to make it because it, it's it's just it's not there yet it doesn't mean that you're not a goddess or a king in some way but it's about to start to shift that story in a way that you can own because without the ownership you know there are times when i hear people say i am this and i see that their entire body does not believe it yeah <laughs> and my thing is what what can you believe you know yeah. and so from instead of being pathetic i'm growing i'm learning you know, that's oftentimes when we can adopt this growth mindset, right? This, I'm not, I'm either winning or I'm learning instead of I'm either winning or losing, right? That shift starts to be, how can I make something that my mind can wrap my head around and start to actually buy into and make the steps from there? And I think also when you mentioned this story um, that you accepted a label, when you say, for example, something like that, I am pathetic, you can also ask yourself, who used to tell me that? Was that something I started to tell me? And sometimes we don't remember, but sometimes we do. Sometimes we know the teacher, the friend, the parent, the sibling yes. the, that told us that once, and we were sensitive that day. We were more sensible at that time, and, and yes. we just grabbed it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. And that's one place where that little rebellious skeptic can come in. Because sometimes it's very tough for our minds to let go of something. So you can use logic against things that you want to change and say, well, what is the evidence against that? Do I have people that love me? Right? Do, do there are people that would choose to be around me? There, I, I have friends, I have family, I have these different things. I have been able to be successful at work. I have, you know, you look for balancing out the evidence because that confirmation bias, man, that's a nasty little thing. We see what we want to believe. And so when we can just broaden that spectrum a bit, start to question and say yeah just maybe maybe just maybe i get a little bit curious about my own ideas about myself and in your experience uh, with uh, all the clients that you have do you think that women play themselves smaller in general yeah yeah across the board um and i can also speak for myself right i see it as one of the most interesting things and i love language because of this right because uh, 
I'll tell you, I'm, I'm working with uh, teams of MBA students, right? And it's fascinating because they will, we're doing like peer-to-peer -peer reviews. And at some point in times over the years, I've heard the statements of the men saying to the women, you know, hey, you showed up really well and you really led and watching the women go, oh, but you know, we all did it well. And my thing is, stop. Yes, that's true. It's not that you didn't all do it well, but in that moment, we can't even accept the fact that somebody is saying, hey, you did a great job just to go, oh my gosh, thank you. To be able to take that in, we so quickly redirect away from ourselves. And then, so if we think it's hard to even receive, how much more difficult is it for us to say, hey, I'm really proud of myself at how well I did in that case because we have a concept of what arrogance is, right? And there is a very big difference between ownership and arrogance, but it's subtle, right? But we can feel it. When I just say, you know what? I'm insanely grateful to have the gifts that I have, to be able to do the work that I do. There's something in me that over the years I have come to understand those gifts, I didn't do anything to earn them. I have, a, I have a skill with language. I didn't instill that in myself. I've nurtured it, but I didn't instill that. That's a gift. So when I can be grateful for whatever it is, whatever power gave me that, even if it's just the power of life, right? Now I can own that, but I don't have to be, oh, I'm so fancy, I did it. Instead, it's this is life, and this is that last step, actually. There's life happens to me. There's, you know, life happens for me. But then there's this other part is that life flows through me. And when we recognize that we're part of it, that we bring our gifts to the table, just like everybody else, that the more that women, especially, and it, it also plenty of men, but I see it so often with women that we can take full ownership, knowing that this is not arrogance. This is showing gratitude for the gifts that we've been given and that we're able to use them. That's life flowing through. Yeah, I wonder, because talking to some of the guest women that I have that have leadership positions, they will say like it's such a different approach when I talk to men than when I talk to women. Women say I'm sorry so much more. And women um, don't see their power so much more. And I wonder what is instilled or what do we accept, you know, through years to come to that point where we don't have, we confused that, like you're saying, arrogance with ownership. Yes. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's where we've talked about this topic of curiosity so often that it's not about, I don't believe it's about overturning something or going at war with you know the old ways but a much gentler way of getting curious why do i say i'm sorry so much why does it feel so different that when i talk with my male colleagues that i change my tone that i make myself smaller that i do and that softness of the curiosity can start to reveal some of those reasons of why maybe like you say it came from childhood maybe it's things that we've learned all over the place it's the feedback that we've gotten of geez that was a harsh response when we actually stood up for ourselves mm -hmm. yeah. these types of things so that's where i really love the topic of curiosity because it's you know, it's a soft way of approaching those big questions. Yeah. And trying new things. I had an experience in my job when I was in the US yeah. where I remember as a foreigner and as a woman in a big team only of men, I was thinking like I had I kind of compare myself to one guy because that was the guy that was like more similar to me. So I'm like, let's see what works for him. And I remember people will listen to him and they will not listen to me. And of course, there is an accent and so forth. But I thought it's not only the accent, you know, he's doing something else. So I remember being curious, using, using your framework. I'm like, what is he doing? What is he doing that I'm not doing? And what I watch, he will always come and say things straight. So in my mind, in English, you have to be polite 
So I would use word like may, might, there's a possibility because that felt softer to me. Mm -hmm. So I would say, maybe this is the solution, but then I didn't sound confident at all. So people yes. wouldn't listen. And yeah. he will always say, this is the solution. And maybe it wasn't, and he was not convinced, you know, but he will just say it that way. So people would try his way. Yes. So I remembered, okay, let's play the game. Let's be playful. Like you're saying, yes. let's just put this on and let's try. So I remember on, on meetings, I will, they made the mind, the possibility that, you know, perhaps well, I will take all that. I will bite my tongue and then go, this is it. And it will take me a while because I will, I want to say, maybe no maybe. not maybe perhaps <laughs> no perhaps no this is it you know and it would take me a while and there was a point where they they started listening and then they start saying gosh you're so tough i'm like i just changed words you know? yes <laughs> but you changed yeah. your mindset right as well because you you brought in and that's the crazy thing that i mean that brings us full circle back to where we were at the beginning you can start with the outside you can start with the inside you can either change the way that you see yourself or in that case you know the way that you saw yourself was the same but you started on the outside speaking out a little bit of a different story of just like well it it still has the maybe and the possibly because it might not be the right answer but it's which one i'm proposing so hey let's do it this way and then the feedback comes and reinforces the internal story of okay it has nothing to do with my competence it had everything to do with the fact that i was putting in some silly words that were negating my ownership yeah. yeah and in my mind that's not how it sounded because in my mind i was being harsh if i didn't use may or might but it was not working for me yeah so then i had to change something you know it's like if it's not working you have to give up something if you want it to work yes. and 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 you know, and, and use curiosity to play and try new things you know mm -hmm. so that that has all the things that you were talking about being playfulness yeah. playing with having curiosity trying new things and uh and and not being attached not putting in your identity certain things Yes. that are going to stop you to grow like you had to change some part of your identity in terms yeah. of the language to be able yeah. to open up so you could learn german and and have that new skill in you absolutely so, yeah. and i love that you use the word identity there because it's exactly this right it's recognizing that our identity is just the compilation of stories that we tell that's yeah. it yeah you know and so identity is not who I am, it's who I believe myself to be. And that is a very different story. And it leaves us room to grow. Yeah. And that's a beautiful way of putting it because that means when something in your life to which you were attached and in your identity changes drastically sometimes, you know it's a story. And if you believe it is a story, you know you can tell a new one. So you're not going down the toilet with that thing that you lost or that person that is not there or that situation or the house or the job or the title that you had. It's a story that you told yourself. So now you can change it. Amen. Preach it, <laughs> sister. <laughs> So let me ask you now, what is a change that you want to see in the world? You know, it, it always comes back and that's, it's funny that I talked about the lighting at the beginning. I would, I would love that people experience more lightness of being. Um, simply because with that awareness of being more at ease with ourselves, this is where you know it's not just about being more positive but i know for myself and everyone around me we make better decisions when we feel at ease with ourselves when we're not under stress and frustration and pain anger but also just the experience of living just that the vibrancy of life when we're at ease with ourselves that's where that vibrance that bliss that that living energy comes from but when when we're weighed down when we're feeling heavy it's really hard to bring that in so that's what i would love to see more in the world is is lightness of being nice nice powerful mm -hmm. 
I will keep talking to you for like two more hours, but <laughs> I tried to keep the episode for one hour, but I'm super grateful for your time, for your wisdom, for everything that you shared today. And I hope we can bring you back in the future. Amen. And I'm so grateful for this work that you do, the exploration, the ease and the joy that you have in bringing these questions up, because it also lets me reflect on things and I love reflecting together. So thank you. Thank you. <laughs>